This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. He's a Hall of Famer. He joins us right now on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. Tony Dungy with us on the fan, 680 and 93.7 FM. Tony, Merry Christmas season to you. and Always a pleasure having you on the show. Hey, thank you very much. Good to be with you guys. Hey, Tony, we were talking about Tom Brady does a podcast and Lawrence Taylor was a guest. Do you remember the first time you saw Lawrence Taylor play football? Yes, I do. Um, I actually saw him on film. That was my first year as an assistant coach in the NFL, and that year was a good uh, linebacker group coming out. And I was in Pittsburgh with the Steelers, so Hugh Green was the talk of the town. And then I was told to scout Mike Singletary, and I heard that he broke seven helmets at Baylor. So I'm watching him and saying, wow, he's tremendous. And Singletary, Hugh Green. And then someone said, well, the best linebacker in this draft isn't either one of those two guys. It's this guy from North Carolina. And I'm like, who could be better than Hugh Green, who was just so dominant, and Mike Singletary, who's breaking helmets? And when I watched Lawrence Taylor, it was like, wow, this is uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, Hugh Green was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, was he not, as a defensive yeah. player? Yeah, and was uh, at that time, I thought the best defensive player I'd seen. Uh, just did so many things for the University of Pittsburgh. But Lawrence Taylor was just in, in another category, so big, so mobile, so fast, and a uh, great desire to get to the football. Yeah, the reason I ask, whether you're an assistant coach looking at tape or whether you're a coordinator or a head coach, how many guys really, when you people say pop in the film and that guy's a generational player, we have to know where he is at all times. How many of those guys really have existed in the NFL? <laughs> there, there's, There's been some 10 to 20 that I can think of, mm -hmm. you know, Joe Green came into the league that way. Randy Moss, when he came in, I remember the first game I played against Randy Moss and you think that he's good. Uh, after that first game, then anytime we played him after that, Hey, there's certain coverages we aren't going to play. You've got to take care of Randy Moss. Uh, just dominant factors in the game. Barry Sanders, <laughs> I remember the first time playing against him and you say, wow, you just jaw drops. Those are the kind of guys. They don't come along that often, but uh, that's what makes football so special. Tony Dungy, the Hall of Famer, with us on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. Something else Lawrence Taylor said during the podcast, he'd be playing for free. In fact, he'd be broke because he'd be giving money back to the league because of the style of play. I, I know the players are safer now. We've talked about the training camps that you had in Pittsburgh and the extra preseason games. What are your thoughts overall on the quality of play on the field right now? Well, the quality of play is higher than it's ever been. Uh, I tend to agree with Lawrence, though. Uh, some of the things that we do rule-wise, you've got to make the game safe, but it is really leaned to the offense. I think we want to make it exciting. We want to have the games high-scoring. I think they've really hamstrung the defense in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, you got to make it safe. you got to take the, the tough things out of the game. But yeah, we, we've got to be careful we don't over-legislate it. So I don't believe we've ever asked you, and you might be maybe the biggest name guy that we haven't yet. Why aren't there enough guys who can play quarterback in the league when they're starting as young as they are? they got iPads in eighth grade. 
They go to seven-on-seven camps. People have literally coaches to just teach their kids how to play quarterback. Why are we, or why does it seem we're in a dearth of quarterbacks right now? Well, there there are a lot of guys who can play quarterback. I think what we've got to do is make sure, the hardest thing is to tailor your system and your scheme to the talents of the guys you have. And, you know, we're seeing that over and over. We're seeing these quarterbacks get picked first, second, third in the draft, and they're not panning out. Does that mean they aren't talented? Does that mean they aren't capable? Or does that mean we haven't really just found the right thing for them to do in the right system? Um, I think back to my time in the NFL and Steve Young getting drafted in Tampa, and he's just an okay player, and people are a little disappointed. And he goes to San Francisco, and you can't stop him. So uh, we could have had, if, if, if Steve Young washed out and never went to San Francisco, we could say, oh, Steve Young wasn't very good. But we know that he was good. And so sometimes it's just getting the right person in the right system and utilizing their talent. Is this too overly simplistic? I don't know how many plays you had in your card every week, what you got ready. Could you win in the NFL if you gave a quarterback 30 plays? And that's all we're going to do is we're going to do them as yes. well. You yes. could. Yes. Yes. We, we used to laugh about it in, uh, in Indianapolis because we had, uh, you know, like everyone else, 150 plays right. in the playbook and we'd come up with new ones all the time. We ended up running the same 25 plays. Uh, we had a play called six, uh, scat left is how we call it. Scat left is scat right on the protection. H big. And it's a wide receiver on a short end, the inside receiver on a deep end. We ran it one year 165 times and had 144 completions. And Peyton used to come in and say, why don't we just run H-Dig every play? <laughs> because it's 95%. Oh, we can't. That wouldn't be creative enough. we got to have this. We've got to do that. So that's what uh, I think is part of the problem. Is, it, is that part of the problem that you're just giving them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we, we had three defense. I remember we played. Uh, I was in Indianapolis, and we played. Uh, Pittsburgh on a Monday night and Bill Carr and I are friends. So he, he talked to me before the game. And he said, I hate playing you guys on a Monday. We have an extra day. We watch, we, we have one more day to watch tape and you don't do anything. You run the same plays. You run the same defense. You only play two fronts. You don't go in motion. You just line up and run the same four pass plays and the same three running plays. And that was our MO and that we took pride in that. And that's how we're going to beat people. And I learned that from, from Pittsburgh. Coach Noel, hey, we don't do extraordinary things. We, we do the ordinary things better than everyone else. We had one defensive front in Pittsburgh, and we had three coverages. And, yeah, we had 11 Hall of Fame players, but that's because we did the same things over and over, and Coach believed in fundamentals. And uh, I think we've gotten away from that some. And, and, yeah, it's great to have good schemes and have trick plays and get people wide open. But that's not how you win Super Bowls. Tony Dungy, Hall of Famer, with us on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. Matt Ryan, I heard it uh, played on our morning show today, talked about the struggle. You get better as a quarterback through the struggle. And for those that don't know, you were at one time a quarterback. So I I would imagine you agree with that sentiment. No, you do. And one thing that I think helps quarterbacks is – by going through that struggle and fighting through it and continuing to do the same things and get better. Um, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf were the first two picks in the 98 draft. And 
it's easy to say, well, yeah, Peyton Manning was head and shoulders above Ryan Leaf, and yeah, the Colts made the right decision. But Peyton Manning had the benefit of the same offense for the first 13 years of his career. Same coach, same system in place. Now you get Marshall Falk one year, then you get Marvin Harrison, and then you get Reggie Wayne, and then you get Dallas Clark, and you add the, well, yeah, he was a lot better uh, at the end when we had all those guys than he was at the beginning. And, yes, some of it is learning what to do and fighting through it and going through the 27 interceptions as a rookie uh, and, and, and playing. But part of us was us adding to it and getting the weaponry he needed. Ryan Leaf did not have that benefit. He didn't have those great players around him coming in year after year. He didn't have the same system. He changed systems four times, I think, in, in five years. Um, so that's not to say, well, if Leaf had gone to Indy, he would have had the same success. And if Peyton had gone to San Diego, he wouldn't have been good. No, but Peyton had a big advantage uh, by having that stability, having people that believed in him staying with the system and just adding to it year after year. So here's the segue. I don't know how much you've watched the Falcons. Certainly on the offensive side, uh, it's lacking. And you spent top 10 picks three years in a row to try to be better than they are now. I don't think Nick and I are crazy. We don't ask for people to be fired. when it, We're not that type of sports talk show. But I got to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit past infuriated to think that this team is not scoring points the way that the NFL is set up to have offenses score points. Yeah, and you say, well, what is the problem? And is it the scheme? Is it the system? Is it the quarterback? Is it the offensive line? All of those things need to gel and come together. But I'll, I'll say this, you have a better chance of scoring points and being good if you do the same thing and keep adding to it. Um, I, I I haven't watched the Falcons enough to, to have an opinion on where it is and w- what the problem is, but I, I do know that, you know, they've got some talented people there, and I think the more you, you put that together and stay with it, the better chance you have. Very general question. What do you think an acceptable number is, points per game in the NFL now, the way that it's set up? And I know there's fluidity and there are things that would make a difference, but what is what's the NFL set up for you to score? At the end of 17 games, what, what are we talking about points per game, do you think? Well, I, I'd say, you know, you look at great defenses, and now you can be excellent on defense, and holding somebody to under 20 is very difficult today. So I think if you're going to be an average offense, you want to score 20 a game, and the, the upper echelon offenses want to score 27 to 30. Mm-hmm. That make you crazy as a defensive guy? Because it seems like it's come down yeah. to now, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if you just get like one or two key stops you're still going to allow 20 plus points one or two key stops on a drive or two that could be the difference in a game never mind dominating defensively because you can't because of the rules yeah rodney harrison and i talk about that on the show all all the time we're watching games it used to be you know if someone got 300 yards on us we were upset that was a bad day at the office and now 300 yards is kind of like the, the, the standard and now you're trying to hold teams under 400 uh, but that's the way the rules are set up. That's what, what people want. So now you do have to gravitate to the way Dallas is built. Hey, I'm going to get some guys who can run and rush the passer and can create takeaways. I'm going to get those, those guys who put heat on the quarterback, defensive backs like Bland who have hands and ball skills and 
Diggs who can catch the ball. And if we can get a couple of takeaways and we can get a couple of sacks at the right time, then that, that's effective defense. We hold people to 20, 21, and we, we get that takeaway at the right time. Our offense is going to score enough and we'll win. And I think that's the way you have to build them now. Take the quarterback out of it. If I told you you were going to get a pick right in the top five, what position would you take? You're going to get it right. I'm probably going to take a big-time wide receiver. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill, um, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, these guys now, they're, they're kind of unstoppable. Um, people, I, I talk to people all the time. Well, Lynn Swan's in the Hall of Fame. He only caught 336 passes. If Lynn Swan and John Starworth were playing today with the rules they have, you can't hit them above the shoulders, across the middle. You can't touch them after five yards. They'd catch 500 passes. Nobody could cover them. Paul Warfield today, are you kidding me? So, yeah, I would look for that. Marvin Harrison Jr., that, that's who I want. Get a good quarterback, get him the ball, and we're going to be lights out on offense for, for 10 years. Number one thing you look for in an assistant, and I, he could be the lowest guy on the staff, whatever that is these days, staffs are bigger, or a guy who's working his way up. What's the one trait that you need to see if a guy's going to get the next step, whether it's with you or somebody else? Uh, tremendous work ethic dedication uh, and, and the desire to learn uh, to me if you've got that I don't want to know what you know I want to know what you can learn um, and if you have that work ethic and that desire can you communicate it to uh, the guys that you'll be working with and just just what's your mindset Chuck Noll told me something when I was my first year, 1981, I'm getting ready to go out and scout all these guys. We're talking about Lawrence Taylor and Singletary and Hugh Green. And I said, what, what is my job as a coach? I've, I've played a long time, but I've never coached. And he told me something I never forgot. He said, you only have one job as a coach to help your players be better. And so that's what I'm looking for in an assistant, somebody who has dedication but has the ego that uh, – I want to help my players be better. Not that I want to be the genius. Not that I want to come up with everything. Not that I want the most recognition. I want to do things to help my players. And you get that, that, that coach is going to, he's going to fly to the top. It's going to happen if you coach long enough. A Sunday night where you knew that you didn't put your team in the best position to win. What's that feel like even after you've been doing it for a while? Terrible. Terrible. When you, if a team... Uh, does something that you're not prepared for or you put your guys in bad position, you didn't cover some things, if you really didn't, uh, if you get surprised by something, it's just a bad feeling. You can't wait to get in the office, tell those guys I'm sorry, and try to get ready for the next week. But, yeah, you get to a big game and you know you didn't do everything you could to give your team a chance to win. It's a horrible feeling. Tony Dungy, the Hall of Famer, spending a couple of more minutes with him as he joins us on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. We talked about the staffs now. Do you look back and think about the staff that you were on when Chuck Noll was there and the difference, like literal difference, between how many members of the coaching staff there were on that team versus what we see now? <laughs> when I got to the Steelers, we had six assistant coaches, and that was the whole staff. Uh, and when I started my coaching career um, in Tampa, I think I had 11 assistants. And we had to do a lot of work ourselves. And now you've got these huge staffs and everybody kind of divides it up and you have guys who do the research and some guys who are coaching on the field. And, yeah, it, uh, bigger is not always better. More is not always better. I, I think what you do get is the diversity of 
opinions and, and you get different ideas and you have to manage all that. But I, I do think there was something to be said for the tight knit group we had of, of people who, uh, who did, did more in those days. Well, I say the photographers always have to back up a lot further now to get the team photo. <laughs> uh, and did, can, I don't want to eat you. you got as many staff as you have players. Yeah, I don't want to eat you, but did you carry around canisters of film when you were talking about watching these guys? I did. I did. And I can remember one of my jobs in my first year as a coach was to go down to the, uh, to the video guy's office and wait for the 16-millimeter film to be developed and take it back to the staff room so we could watch the practice tape. Uh, Bill Nunn, that's how we got John Stallworth. There were, there were five reels of film on Alabama A&M. Bill Nunn took them all so no, none of the other scouts could see John Stallworth play, and we drafted him in the fourth round. Hold on. You're saying he basically, like, if it was a library, he took all the copies of Moby Dick. <laughs> he commandeered the film. And nobody yeah. else could read he Moby got Dick. all the film. He, he knew the head coach. He said, send me all the game film on, on that, that you've got that John missed, like, four games his senior year. So he only played in seven games. Send me all seven of those film. I'll get them back to you right after the draft. <laughs> and, and so Coach Noel is watching the tape. Now I'm coming later. I hear this later on. But Coach Noel watches the tape, and he's, this guy's phenomenal. He had him, but he wanted to take him ahead of, of Swan. And Bill said, we don't have to take him ahead of Swan. we got to take Swan first. Nobody's going to take this guy. Nobody's seen him play. And he said, okay. I'll take your word for it, but if we lose Stallworth, you're out of a job. And Bill said he was sweating bullets the whole draft. We finally drafted him in the fourth round and uh, got a Hall of Famer. We've heard a lot of stories about Chuck Noll. Was he close to anybody? Because if you believe some of these stories, it doesn't seem like, aside from his family, he was. He was close, but you have to understand his personality. He wasn't, he wasn't going to be your dad. He wasn't going to be that jovial guy. He would tell you things and like like a father, but expect you to do it. When I, he, I got traded to the 49ers. I came back two years later. He hired me on the staff and Mrs. Noel, his wife, Marianne told me when I came back, you were always one of Chuck's favorite players because of the way you worked and everything. And I said, well, I'm glad you told me because I would have never known that. He never said two words to me, you know, but that just wasn't his way. But uh, if you're around, um, you, you could see that he cared for everybody. He wanted to be the best. He just didn't have that warm and fuzzy personality. Everybody has an ability to adjust, and this is so unfair. But would Chuck Noll have – how would he have handled social media, players on it, press conferences all the time, having to address everything, post game? Wednesdays, Thursdays, how would he have done? He would have adjusted to it. I can remember uh, we got a wide receiver from the University of Texas who was a track guy, and he came in with these, We, I guess they call them uh, compressions now. We call them leotards. He came in with leotards and an earring, and we're saying, hey, you might want to leave that in your locker and not bring that in because Coach Noel, you know, he's not going to go for that. And this guy, no, I'm not going to do that. But Coach Knowles said, you know, this is who he is, and I don't, I, I'm not concerned about that. Does he know what he's doing? Can he play? Is he tough? That's what we'll find out. Don't worry about the earring and the leotards. And that's the way he was. We we had a lot of guys who were uh, off the charts in those days. Some of the things that our guys did, um, you know, we had Ernie Holmes shooting at helicopters. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's true. He found a way to. He found a way to work everybody in and say, hey, there's some things that are going to be allowed, some things that aren't. 
you've got to, you know, you've got to fit in. We've got to fit in a little bit. We had an unconventional team, you know, Frenchy Fuqua wearing uh, goldfish in his shoes and uh, those kind of things. Uh, you, you could do that as a stealer. Now, there's some things you couldn't do. And if it was not being tough and not being on time, that, that wasn't going to fly. But individual personalities, um, he would have adjusted. I'm assuming players policed. Like, I used to joke about that team, that yeah. if you made a mistake, you had to walk into the defensive puddle after you made a mistake in a game. I don't think a coach had to really say anything to you. I'm assuming you found out Absolutely. pretty quickly. Absolutely. The veteran guys, that's not the way we do things. Uh, I remember uh, one of my first days on the, the, the scout team. Uh, you know, you're running the other team's defenses, the first-team offense, so I'm kind of afraid to hit Lynn Swan. And then, you know, I'd, I'd run the coverage, but i let him catch the ball. Mel Blunt came up to me and said, we don't ever let guys catch balls out here. If you let anybody catch a ball on this field, you're not a Steeler DB. And co- the coaches didn't have to say anything. Yeah, the players set the tone. We, you, I don't know how many guys tried. I think Nehemiah is the guy that I think about. But was there a time when NFL teams brought in guys who were really fast and they said, oh, we can turn them into one? What would happen if a guy like that got cracked one time? They, they're leaving, right? Aren't, did, did you see yeah, any mean, of that stuff? You had, to be, you had to be tough. We saw some guys who were really talented. Uh, Coach Noel didn't put a lot of stock in the, the combine and the workouts and the vertical jump and all that. That, that was great. We did put a lot of stock in it. He, he wanted to, and there were some guys. Bob Hayes was a track guy, uh-huh. but he was also a football player who was tough. Uh, there were other track guys who came in and, and weren't tough enough. Uh, there were basketball players. Cornell Green was, ended up being a great DB. Uh, Marcus Pollard was a, a basketball player. Bradley tight end for us. Antonio Gates didn't play f- football in college, played basketball. But they came out, and they were tough guys, and they, they had that football mentality. So that's what you're looking for. Not everybody has it because it is, it's a tough game. What do you think the future is, the future like next year for Bill Belichick? I personally think he'll be somewhere else. I think he will, um, they'll, they'll have a mutual parting of the ways and he'll go somewhere. And um, I think he'll create a pretty good team wherever he goes. My, my guess is he will want to break that all-time record. I think he deserves to break it. And I just don't think it's going to happen in New England. Do you think Robert Kraft, I'm not listening to me, I'm, I'm dipping into somebody's pocket. Should he not need a draft pick for him? Aren't you supposed to, after everything is done, say? Yes, yes, yeah. In my opinion, absolutely. You say, hey, Bill, things have gone downhill here. I think we need a change. I want to let you out of your contract. Mm-hmm. I want you to go wherever you want to go. And, yeah, I think you owe that to him after X number of Super Bowls and 20 years of great great play. All right, Tony, yep. you, want, you want to play a quick game? Yes. Yeah, all right. So I, I came up with the top five pizza toppings earlier today in the show. I said every once in a while I'm just going to do random top five. It's kind of a trick list, though. Yeah, yeah. So the top five okay. pizza topping, toppings are pepperoni and meatball. That's it. He's got two. That's it. There's no more. It's It ends at two. Do you have oh. a three, four, and five for me? Uh, we were trying to figure that out. I have a three for sure, Italian sausage. I love Italian sausage right. on pizza. Okay. I passed on it. It was brought up by Nick on the other side of the, the table here. Um, anything else? Because, again, would your top five only have three on it? I don't understand these people well, who put all this mess on it. <laughs> I can take anything, and I've eaten pizza with onions on it, and I like that. I, I kind of like the mm. – um, 
Hawaiian pizza every now and then. Don't do with that. The pineapple. No, Tony, that's that. not pizza. But, Tony, you know better than that. But, that's not no, pizza. No, but if I'm ordering a pizza, Go it's going to have either pepperoni, meatball, or Italian sausage. Okay. Absolutely. He'll be, that's he'll that's be polite and ingest the pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah, the same? Yeah, I'll eat, I'll eat something else if people have it. But if you ask me to order, it's going to be one of those okay. three things. Well, how quickly do you learn in Pittsburgh? You're not in Philadelphia with cheesesteaks. When you talk about paninis, when you talk about, like, how quickly are you infused into a lifestyle when you go to a team like this? Very, very quickly. That becomes uh, your your uh, universe at that point. And there were some things that I, I never had. Like, I never heard of a Cuban sandwich until I came to Tampa. Mm-hmm. And now I love them. <laughs> I eat them all the time. I didn't know what it was. I never knew what a grouper sandwich was until I got to Tampa. Uh, but I, I, those are two things now that are huge in, in my diet that uh, I, for 45 years I never knew. Did you know what the what Steelers meant in the Pittsburgh Steelers, like why they had that name and why it was such a lunch pail type mentality for the football team there? I did know that, and I knew how big steel was, and it was still big when I got there in 1977. The steel industry was declining, and those 24-hour-a-day, three-shift mm-hmm. steel mills were kind of dying out at the time, but I knew how big steel was. And, and, how, and Mr. Rooney let us know that when you came in as a rookie, he gave you a history lesson on the city, on the fans, on your responsibility. And he wanted you to move into Pittsburgh and become part of that community and know and understand that history. So, yeah, that was a, an important part of being a Steeler back then. I promise you we'll close with the big game on NBC, 820 kickoff Philadelphia and Dallas momentarily. But I don't think I've ever asked any of the ex-Steelers this. Why were those cars on the field there were Three Rivers? <laughs> and why were they so close to the field? I know why they were there. Uh, that was the advertising industry, and we needed to sell those American-made cars. I don't know why they were two yards from the back of the end zone so Lynn Swan would have to jump over yeah. top of one when he scheduled a touchdown pass. Uh, we knew where they were there. We wish we could have just backed them up about 10 yards. Though. And what about the game on Sunday? Uh, it's going to be great. Um, I'm vacillating. I have to make a pick on Sunday night. Dallas uh, is playing tremendous offense. Philadelphia is not playing as well as they can play. These last five weeks, they've played some good competition. They've won games, uh, but they haven't been the Eagles that we're used to. Philadelphia has struggled with pass defense. Dallas is throwing the ball really, really well. Philadelphia at one time used to use that power game, that offensive line, and they would pound you, which I think is Dallas's weakness on defense. Uh, a lot of things point to Dallas winning this game. They've got a nice home winning streak, all of that. But what we've seen from Dallas in the big games, they tend to kind of implode. Yeah. So that's what uh, I've got to see. Can Dallas yeah. come out and play their game? Does Philly go back to the power game? Uh, can Philly generate pass rush on deck to disrupt some of that uh, Dallas pass? Okay, if you ran the NFL Network and you heard David Carr say that Marcus Mariota should be starting in front of Jalen Hurts, what kind of suspension is he looking at? Well, I think he's got a point if Philadelphia plays the way they played the last few weeks. If they forget about their running game, if they get behind and they just want to get into a drop-back passing game. But if they do what they've done for the last two years and pound the ball and use Jalen Hurts as a runner and make you defend that run with eight and nine people and then you just have to throw one-on-one balls to – 
A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, then Jalen Hurts is going to be the MVP of the league. And I just think they need to get back to doing what they do best. I like the other conversation we had when you were with the Colts. Keep those plays working. If they're working, keep doing them. It's that simple sometimes. Do what we do. That was the sign we had in our locker room. Do what we do. Don't worry about the rest of the league. Don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about what the fans want. Do what we do. Philadelphia, pound the ball. Use Jalen Hurts on the read option. Throw the ball one-on-one to Devontae Smith and and A.J. Brown, and you're going to score 30 points. You're not the only person we said this about, but before you came on today, Nick looked at me and said, you know, we don't have much in common with Tony Dungy except sort of shaved heads. You're not the first person we realize is just better than us. Uh, But we probably, I don't think we've ever told anybody we said is better than us that we know that you're better than us. It's self-explanatory. You're a great guest, Tony. We always appreciate you coming on. Have a great holiday. Looking forward to the game on Sunday night there, Philadelphia and Dallas and NBC. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. Thanks, Tony. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words. It's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 